Welcome everybody, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this is Talking with TK. Episode 6 of Talking with TK. Today's special guest is the one and only Merv Hughes. Merv, when I was growing up, you know, he had that mo going on, the chain. He was the character of cricket. And, you know, we're pretty lucky to grow up in an era where himself, the War Twins, Booney, Alan, Alan Border, Ian Healy, McGrath, McDermott, Warney. You know, we're pretty blessed in terms of, you know, the characters we had in the Australian team right through the 80s and 90s probably one of my favorite parts of cricket but i'm really excited to get more views on today it was originally meant to be john bow but unfortunately john was in an accident so he'll be on the next show I've lined that up for next week, but definitely a great episode ahead with Merv Hughes, someone I've really wanted to speak to for a long, long time. Guys, just a big thank you to everyone tuning into the show. I really appreciate everyone subscribing and leaving me those five-star reviews on iTunes. So if you haven't yet and you can and you've got access to iTunes, the best thing you can do for me is just to quickly log on and just subscribe, leave me a five-star review, and also what's really important is sharing the show with your family and friends. Today's episode, well, we're going to really have a big reflection on Merv's career. I really want to have, ask him different questions, especially around his hat-trick that he took against the West Indies. You know, he had a pretty long journey in the team. He was in the team for nine years, so it's going to be interesting just to see his take on things like team culture, you know, big influences on the team, as well as captaincy and leadership questions. So we'll get a bit of a, an insight probably into his training and the mindset that he actually had for games. It was actually interesting that his test debut was... You know, it wasn't the greatest. On his debut, he took one for 23 or 37 overs. He dropped two catches, and he had a fifth ball duck. So he had to battle back into the team. So it's going to be interesting just to kind of just see the kind of mindset that he had between getting dropped out of the Australian team to fighting his way back in. Here's my views. So sit, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Special guest is Merv Hughes. Merv is a former Australian cricketer, playing 53 test matches and 33 one-day internationals. He captured 212 test wickets. He's also a radio personality and fishing fan- fanatic and hosts the hit TV show Merv Hughes Fishing on 1HD. I welcome Merv Hughes. Merv, my man, welcome to the show. Tristan, thank you very much for having me on. Mate, talk to me about the fishing show because I've been watching it. I've watched a few episodes now and I'm loving it. I'd have no I had no idea that after everything you've done in cricket that you'd be so passionate about something else. So tell me a little bit about the show. Um yeah, so three this is our third series. It's just gone here on one H D on a Saturday afternoon, um, four, four thirty. And for for me, um, it's just an escape, I suppose. Uh yeah, on the water with people that you want to be with and the the challenge of, of catching that, that fish of a lifetime. Um, and 
I suppose a lot of people say of me, I, I, I can't believe you've got the, the patience for fishing, but I find fishing very similar to cricket. There's, there's a lot of downtime, um, and when it happens, you've got to be ready for it. If you're not ready for it, you, you miss the opportunity. So um, for me, um, it's, it's very similar to cricket, and it's, I suppose it's something that you can get into and you can keep competing against yourself, as in, you know, biggest, biggest species of fish, so biggest bream and biggest Murray cod, biggest barramundi. So always on, on search of uh, enlarging my, my previous best. Being a fast bowler and being a fisherman, you, you know, you did mention the similarities. There's one of those things that you kind of bait, 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 and then you do something big to get them out. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, um, basically, it's it's just finding the right areas. So when you're bowling to a batsman, um, all you got to do is sort of tie down, tie down, and, and you've got to be very efficient with what you do. And I found with the fishing, it's the same thing. And, and I do a lot of lure fishing, a um, lot of um, hard body, uh, soft plastics, um, and I tend to hunt the fish rather than, than bait fish and wait for the fish. So... Um, very similar to hunting a batsman. Um, you've got to get the lure in the, in the right place. So when you're casting, um, if, you're, if you're a foot, foot and a half off the mark, you're nowhere near it. And with bowling, when you're, when you're you know, 10 centimetres off the mark, uh, maybe 15 centimetres off the mark, it's not, it's not good enough. So you've got to be spot on with what you do and really enjoy the challenge of it. Merv, what's been your biggest catch? Um, well... Depends on, on what species we go for here. To mm. Probably the bass fishing. I'm loving my bass fishing at the moment and have the opportunity to get up to Glenbourne just out of, or just west of Newcastle and, and chase bass there and out the back of, of Noosa in, in Queensland at, at the, the dams and lakes up there. Um, I'm really loving my bass fishing at the moment. And a 50 centimetre bass is the best one. And because I don't... Um, specialise in any one breed. Like I chase Murray cod, my biggest Murray cod, seventy centimetres. I've just come back from the Barra Classic, which is held up on the Davy River in the Northern Territory, um, about maybe three hours um, southwest of Darwin. Um, and the biggest barra I've got is, is ninety six centimetres. So I'm, I'm hoping to get a, a metre plus with uh, the Murray cods and the, and the Barra Mundies. Um, Whiting, the biggest is a, a 60 centimetre, which is pretty significant. Flathead, um, I'm still chasing the big flathead. I think the biggest flathead's about 63, so they get a lot bigger than that. But I'm constantly on the look to, yeah, just to upgrade is what I'm trying to do. It's like like um, test cricket when you're bowling. When you've got one wicket, you want two. When you've got two wickets, you want three. So I'm always thinking about that next catch. Yeah, let's talk a little bit of the cricket because... Yep. Really, have you had a chance to really reflect on all your career achievements? Because when I look back, you know, when I grew up in like the 80s and 90s, like we really kind of, with you guys, with, with yourself, with the wars, with Booney and stuff like that, you just had so much character. I just see that missing a little bit in today's players. Maybe I'm getting older, but I just I just kind of resonated more with you guys when, when I was growing up. So have you had a chance to reflect on your career? Um, yeah, I think a uh, combination of a few reasons. Uh, professional cricket now, um, the money that these guys are played, and especially in the media, they expect so much more from the players, both on and off, off the ground. Um, we got scrutinised for our performance on the ground. We didn't get um, scrutinised for our life 
uh, style and, and choices off the ground, and now these players do. So I, I feel sorry for these players and, and for mine. They don't get paid enough um, for the scrutiny because it's it's 24-7 nowadays. For us, it was when we played. And to, to look back on, at the end of it, you, you look back at it, and if someone had told me when I was 21 years old, I would have played nine and a half years of cricket with the Australian side, um, I would have played 53 tests and, and got 200 a week. I would have looked at him and said, you, you, you're kidding yourself. Um, and I suppose after my first test match, I was thinking to myself, if I ever play another test match, I'll be lucky. Um, and I played um, 52 more after that, and I, I consider myself a, a very lucky man to have done so. Yeah, let's talk about a bit of adversity, because that debut match you did mention, I've got a couple of stats. You know, you did one for 123 off 37 overs, two drop catches, yeah, no, and, and a fifth ball dark. But just Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no, see, a, lot of, a lot of people ask, can you ever forget your first test match? And in all honesty, no matter how hard I try, I'll never be able to forget my first test match. Yeah, well, um, For those reasons and none of the good ones, but it, it just it stamps um, the difference between domestic first-class cricket and, and test cricket. Yeah. The wicket's a little bit better, the batsmen a little bit better, and like casting in a fish, the margin for error. Is is just well the margin. If you're if you're a centimetre off line or length, you, you get whacked by the better batsman. Yeah. Um, so I, I found I found that in my first Test match, and luckily in my first Test match, um, had a great captain in Alan Border. Um, Bob Simpson had just taken over as coach and a selector of the, the Australian team. And my first ten days in Adelaide, I learned so much about the way that I trained. Because I, I used to think um, quality of training. Mm. So I'd go and train for three hours. And Simo and AB, and, and especially Simo, was, mate, you can't sustain it for three hours. What you've got to do is train for, for an hour, but go at 100%. And yeah. that helps you become a better player rather than going for three hours and going at 85 90%. You don't get anything out of that when, when the heat comes on in the game. So I learned a hell of a lot about uh, training and um, certainly just took that on board and and forward when, when I played. So whether I played club cricket, state cricket or Australian cricket, um, you just wanted to improve all the time. Yeah, was there a mindset change? Because you were back pretty quickly. It only took you another like a year to get back for the games against England. Um, yeah, well, opportunity <laughs> is, is the key, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think... Um, You've got to, in any sport, if you want to play at the top level, um, you've got to adapt and you've got to keep improving. So if you don't improve, other guys are going to go past you. And, and I, I learned, I, I had a bloke by the name of Ron Gaunt um, at Footscray when I first got down there, former test bowler. Um, he, was, he was fantastic and um, exceptional help to me as a young bloke. Uh, and he said something to me as a, I reckon I was a 17-year-old that really hit home. He just said, work hard through the easy times and it becomes easy through the hard times. And that, to me, just meant the harder you work at training, the more prepared you are, and that makes it easier during game times. And that's, that's what I took on board. And I probably say to kids now when I'm coaching, if, if people say, how do I improve my game, mate, my, my um, words of wisdom to them are, if you want to be as good as the next bloke, do as much. If you want to be better, do more. So basically just gets down to how much 
more prepared you are to, to work harder and concentrate harder at training. Yeah, Merv, I know you're a big footy fan. What first attracted you to cricket and why did you choose fast bowling? Um, well, gee, it's interesting you, you ask that. Um, basically, Aussie Rules Football grew up in Victoria, so Aussie Rules Football as a young kid, all I wanted to do was to play what was then VFL, which is now AFL. Yeah. Um, so um, I actually went down and trained with uh, Geelong. So in those days, it was his own, not the draft. And got down there and I thought, this is dream come true. Uh, I'm going to play play um, VFL football. What position um, did you play in VFL? Uh, centre-half back, full-back. Yeah, nice one. Um, so a decision, like it's, it's great in life when you don't have to make decisions, is it? Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of people um, often ask why they give up football to, to take up cricket. And that was a decision that Billy Goggin, who was coach at Geelong, didn't lose too much sleep over making. Um, so I went down and trained, um, didn't really cut the mustard down there, got released, um, went from there, from Werribee Sub-District Cricket in Victoria, Western Suburbs, to Footscray. I uh, got down there, Ron Gaunt was there, had a talk to Lindsay James, the then captain. Um, I reckon Jim, Jim Mann was a chair of selectors. Um, and their, their name, Ron Gaunt was a bowling coach, so names that people won't really know, but if you're, if you're tied up with the, the Footscray um, clan, then they're, they're sort of household names. They're, they're pretty um, hard hitters for, for the Footscray Cricket Club. Yeah. And I got down there and they said, what do you do? And I said, well, I bat and I bowl a bit, because I left wherever he is, a, as a middle-order, top-order batsman um, that bowled a little bit of medium pace. And they said, right, have a bowl. So I ran in and bowled about three balls. And Ron Gaunt came over and just said, mate, you're not a batsman anymore. You're a bowler. So another decision made for me. Um, so that's how I got into bowling. Basically, um, every night for about three years with Ron Gaunt standing at the top of my mark, just talking about bowling and, and working on getting pace and getting through the crease rather than just ambling in off a little run-up and bowling medium paces. Um, to to run in hard and, and put a bit of pressure on your body. So basically, all, all the big decisions are being made for me. What about that bowling style? It was so unique, Merv. Like, where did you get that from? Man? Um, I got no idea. Um, but you have a look at bowlers, and when when they run into bowl, when they load up, everything stops. So they and I just felt more comfortable if if the ball was moving. So I just had that little sort of. Um, half pie circle, uh, to, just to, to keep keep moving and uh, obviously tweak tweak the the run up and tweak the action a little bit more. But having worked work with Ron Gordon, um, having worked with Owen Conley with the Victorian side as as an assistant coach, Ern Redpath was coach, um, and they had Keith Stackpole and Alan Conley who were were great helps. We had coaching lessons by um, Dennis Lilly, um, so coaching oh. sessions with him. Early doors, um, you know. And there's, there's so many people that, that helped me along the way. Jeff Bean and Jeff Norman at Werribee before I got to to um, Footscray, and a bloke by the name of Robert Steer um, from the Aubrey and Border area playing cricket at Merrillford as a 15, 16 year old. Robert Steer was my hero. He was captain of the side. Um, he ran in and bowled fast, and he batted. And he just did everything as a as a country bloke would. And I used to just watch the way he went about things and think. Geez, I'd love to be like Robert Steer. Well, I was going to ask you, Merv, you know, Warney had uh, a bunny in Daryl Callahan. Now, yep. did you have one? 
Yeah, yeah, I had a bunny. Um, Richie Richardson. Oh, nice one. Yeah, no, nice one. Um, I got him out, and combination of the reasons, I got him out more times in Test cricket than any other batsman. I got him out nine times. And obviously because Australia played the West Indies a lot, he's a number three batsman, I was an opening bowler. Yeah. Um, so you, you tend to bowl against him a little bit. But it was interesting, Shane Warne's bunny, he used to get cut out for a duck, five, six, three, uh, another duck. Um, Richie Richardson, my bunny, I used to get him out for 120, yeah. 170. I think we got him out for 199 one day and we're pretty stoked with that. <laughs> well, they're the, only team that you did, they're the only team that you guys didn't beat in that little stretch that you played, correct? Um, yeah, the only time we didn't have a series win, but I reckon we started matching it with them. And 90, 91 for for me uh, personally, and, and 91 for the team significantly. I think we went over there. We'd been bowled 80, 88, 89. We went over the West Indies 91, and we started to match it with them. So we had a draw in Jamaica. Um, they beat us in Barbados. They beat us in Guyana. We had a draw in Trinidad, and then the last test match, um, we knocked the West Indies over in, in four days in Antigua. And, and I truly believe that that's where we as a team started to feel that we could match it with the West Indies. And when they came back to Australia, um, 92, 92-93, um, we, we took it right up to them. Um, draw in Brisbane, one in Melbourne, draw in Sydney, lost by... Um, a run or, or two runs in Adelaide and then got belted in, in Perth. But we still had that belief that we could compete um, from there. And, and the Australian side from there, um, you know, with, with Craig McDermott, with Glenn McGrath, with Shane Warren, Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh, those blokes, um, went on to, to knock the West Indies over in that next series in the West Indies. Brendan Julian came in and, and did a great job. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think my satisfaction comes with um, having a look at my career and playing in an ever-improving Australian team. And as you said, the only team that, that we didn't knock, knock over in the time that I played was the West Indies. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Merv Views. If you haven't yet, catch some of our other releases. Our last episode, we had Paul the Chief Harrigan on, and here's a little snippet from our interview with the Chief. Um, it, you've got to go to the purpose level or the reason why you're doing the things you do because that, that's got to be way up high. So when you're down, you know, at the level of trying to sort out problems or something comes, you know, that's a difficult roadblock, you've got to lift yourself back up to that purpose. Why am I doing it? Because if your reason why you're doing the things you do is, is not more important than any obstacle that that comes your way, you won't make it. So it's got to be a really, really strong reason. And you'll be tested out uh, at least two or three times you'll, you'll want to give up if it's a decent goal. And I found that, that just before the biggest breakthroughs came the worst the worst tests. Um, so easy to, to, to give in or fold in at that time, but somehow by the skin of your teeth, uh, you manage to get through and, and that breakthrough comes. So my advice would be... Um, if, if you're willing to eat and sleep something, if you're willing to think that what's my competitor doing right now, well, I'm doing, I'm burning that desire, I'm, you know, I'm churning it over my mind, I want it more. If you're willing to do that um, night and day to achieve your goal, 
and when the big test comes, um, that your, your reason's stronger. It's like mathematics, you know, two and two are always going to equal four. Um, if you do those things, you cannot fail. We've, we've also had the likes of Mark Hunt, George Cambosis, Mark Ocalupo, and Robbie Madison on the show. So if you haven't yet, check up, check out those shows. Also, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes. It's also now on Stitcher. And please, if you've got access to iTunes, please leave me a five-star review. Now back to the show. Yeah, let's stick on the West Indies. He had the greatest hat-trick, I reckon, of all time, 1988-89. In Perth, three overs over two days, two innings. Tell us a little bit about yeah. it. Well, I don't really give fast bowlers too much credence here, but people say, what was it like getting a test hat-trick? And they say, well, I didn't know I was on a test hat-trick. And they say, well, three wickets in three balls, how hard is that to know? <laughs> when, when you take a wicket with the last ball of your second last over in the first innings, Tim May bowled the next over, got a wicket. I come on to bowl my next over, got a wicket first ball. Okay, and that was a change of innings. So then a day and a half later, Jeff Lawson's been hit. Alan Border declares nine down against the West Indies. Um, we go out to bowl five overs, so we're all fired up um, about Jeff Lawson being hit. Um, we were maybe 50 runs behind. Understood that you know, a couple of early wickets might, might give us a chance to get back in the game. Um, not good in Greenwich over first ball, and you, you know you, you've you've got a wicket. We we're so excited about that, and everyone said I carried on because I had a hat trick. I had no idea I had a hat trick. Where I found out I had a hat trick was at the end of the second over. Steve Waugh, Tony Donnelly bowled the second over. Steve Waugh came down from I think first slipping used the field, grabbed my cap and jumper, and just said, "Merv, I think you got a test hat trick." I said, oh, "I don't think so. I needed Richie." No, no. <laughs> And he went through it. So the last ball, your second last over, your first ball. And I looked at him and said, nah, I don't. He said, no, I'm pretty sure. And I said, well, what makes you so sure? He said, oh, we just heard on the PA system. <laughs> so I, I found out like two, two, two overs later that I had a test hat trick. I thought, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> delayed reaction, eh? Delayed celebration. Delayed reaction, yeah. <laughs> Merv, who was the most influential player that you played with and against? Um... Alan Border, um, to, to have played 53 test matches, to have played all, all my test matches under Alan Border as a captain. Um, he was a fantastic captain. I reckon he's the most courageous, determined um, sports person I've ever met. Um, he led by example, and, and as a team captain, he protected the players. So early in my career, we had a pretty ordinary side from probably 85 to when we started turning around um, 80, 89 against the West Indies without the results on the board, go to England in 89 and turn it around. That first four years, as tough as it was for players, um, it would have been tougher on Alan Border as cap. Um, he led the way beautifully. And the thing that I loved about AB was he protected the players from the media. So if the, the media was critical of a player... Um, Alan Border stood up and, and defended that player and, and he got labelled Captain Grumpy because um, of, of him protecting the players but um, AB for mine listen I played with a lot of quality cricketers um, but Alan Border to me was head and shoulders above you know David Boone was outstanding Steve Waugh Mark Waugh Ian Healy was exceptional in the Australian team and, and I'm talking Australian team I, I could talk 
I could talk uh, state cricket, I could talk club cricket, I could talk uh, cricket at Werribee and bush cricket with blokes that had a big impact on my career. But I think the bloke that had the biggest impact was certainly Alan Border. Yeah, with, with Alan being your captain for so long, was it a situation where he allowed you to just bowl the spots that you wanted or did you guys talk before the game and kind of line up like off stump for this bowler, middle stump, etc., uh, etc.? Uh, mate, it's it's no longer a game like that. It's a science. Um, and you, if you if you follow cricket, if you follow a series, you'll find now. And, and even when I played, players get out the same way all the time. Yeah. And that's that's a bowling plan. So we we no different. We used to sit down, team meeting, strengths and weaknesses. Okay, this is his weakness. This is where we bowl to him. So a lot of times you get a bloke out caught behind. Um, from just around off stump, or you get a bloke out hooking because you're, you're planning to bounce him with two back. So these days, um, and, and to a certain extent towards the end of my career, um, basically the the team that sticks closest to their game plan and holds their catches wins the game. So you know, there's you see um, you know you see Glenn McGrath get a batsman out the same way, and a lot of people say, "Gee, that." That's a little bit hokey. You got him out the same way in the last test match. Well, mate, it's no coincidence that, that um, good bowlers get the same batsman out the same way time and time again. That's just good planning. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you was about two Ashes series, one in 1989 when you were relatively new to the team and then back in 1993 yeah. when you were more of a veteran having to take on a different role. Can you just talk about some of the mentoring aspects that you had with some of the younger blokes? go to 89 first uh, and I was very lucky to have Jeff Lawson and Terry Alderman um, in the team so um, I, I was just starting to establish myself as, as an Australian cricketer and to get over to England and just to have those two guys there and Terry Alderman in particular uh, because of his record in England but um, Jeff Lawson also he played a couple of tours over there and from ground to ground just the, the different um, quirks about each ground um, so Lords, and a lot of people don't realise, Lords have a, has a drop from one side of the ground to the other um, of about nine feet. So when you're bowling from the pavilion end, you've got to be a little bit further outside off stump because the ball comes down the slope. When you're bowling from the nursery end, um, you can be at off stump and the slope's going to carry the ball um, down the offside. So um, at, at um, Headingley, where it's probably not as much, but from top the tail of the ground, so one end you run up a hill, the other end you run down a hill. At Birmingham, um, you've got a wicket that um, basically because of the irrigation, the, the test pitch actually rises. Um, and we're having Terry Alderman and Jeff Lawson just to, to point out the differences and the adjustments that you have to make yeah. um, was a godsend for me, and that, and that certainly helped me. And to go back in, in 89, uh, Craig McDermott was there. Um, he was probably a senior player. Um, but he, he came home with that, that twisted bow, bow. And, you know, to have uh, Wayne Holdsworth, to have Brendan Durian, to have um, Paul Rifle there, um, Tim Main and Shane Warren were exceptional. Um, Brendan Durian um, played three tests, did a fantastic job. Uh, Paul Rifle, after 93, didn't really get too many mentions, but played um, three tests and got 19 wickets. Um, he was exceptional. So, um I reckon more by that time, everyone was looking after themselves. And um, as a senior player, probably spent um, most of my time with Wayne Holdsworth from New South Wales, yep. um, just exploring the meaning of life at the um, pubs and clubs around London <laughs> and England. 
What's your favourite pub, Murph? What's my favourite pub? Yeah, mate. Uh, in in all of the world, my favourite pub is the the Cav Hotel in in Darwin. Mate, cold cold beers and big steaks, great steaks, best steaks in the world. That's on the main road, so, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah yep. so it's on uh, Kavanagh Street. Yeah. So Cav Cav Hotel on Kavanagh Street. If if you're in Darwin and you want a a, a great steak, uh, drop in there. Ask for Big Dave Cannon. Um, tell him I sent you in and ask for a fifty percent discount. <laughs> and see how you go with that. <laughs> he, won't, he won't give you nothing. But, mate, great steaks and, and just a, a really good ambiance. It's, it's off the main street, so Mitchell Street's the main street. It's probably two, three streets across from there. Um, it's a little bit quieter, um, but great, great pub. Really love it there. Maybe you sure you're on the steaks? I hear that you're doing some man shakes with Adam McDougal. Yeah, mate, I, I can have me one steak meal a day. But uh, the man shake has been a godsend for me. Um, I got on it to it last year, yeah. so um, got, got a hold of it and and I pulled off. Like in, in a month, I lost four kilos doing nothing else but the man shake. Wow. And then went to Sri Lanka, put it back on, came back again, got on it again, and then sort of run out of product, so got off it. And since New Year's, I've been on it um, and, and got fair dinkum about it, probably about... 85% fair dinkum about it, because yep. um, as I said, I still love mistakes, and the other thing that goes <laughs> well with steak is beer, and here's a, isn't this a great um, campaign slogan? Lose the beer gut without losing the beer. That's, that? that's captured by imagination, so you get on this diet, you can still have a few beers here and there, um, and I'm probably still having a few too many, but um, since, since New Year's when I've started, I've lost um, 12 kilos. An extension of the man shake has been the man challenge. So challenging men to do 10 minutes of exercise a day for seven weeks. So 70 days in a row, 10 minutes of exercise. Um, I've just completed that. And with the man shake and doing that man challenge, um, I just just feel great. And I've, I've, I've still been, before people sit there saying, you're still a fat prick, I know I've still got some weight to lose. Um, I'm down to about 130 now. I want to get down to about... 120. If I get down to 115 k's, I'll, I'll be I'll be very happy. Yes. Uh, everything that Adam does with a man shake and the man challenge, uh, for, and Tristan, I've got to be honest with you. I reckon there's a lot of blokes over 40 in the same position that I am. We hate exercise. Yeah. Hate the thought of exercise, but I love a challenge. So the man challenge, that is an extension of the man shake that Adam does. Is fantastic. You don't think you're exercising. You think, right, well, I'm going to do this because it's a challenge. And, and you do it rather than, oh, bloody exercise. I don't want to do this. And half the time you don't do it. But when when you set yourself a challenge, I think most blokes want to want to achieve that challenge. Yeah, well said. And I guess seeing yourself doing it, you're pretty influential to guys that are around that age. So I think it'll be great for people to take it up. You know, you've got results out of it. And at the end of the day, you're not stressing your lifestyle out too much either. So I think it's a great oh, initiative. Well, like I said, you, you still go down the pub and have a steak. You can uh, you still have a couple of beers. And like I said, 85% of it, I'm pretty good. But where I let myself down is I've just been to Darwin for two weeks, mate. <laughs> it's pretty hot up there. How many, it's very how many hot. beers do you reckon I had up there? But uh, man shake twice a day. Um, and then uh, doing the, the challenge. I finished the challenge probably about 10 days ago. And I, I got up today and I thought, geez, I miss that. I've got to start doing that again. So I'm going to set myself a challenge where you know I might do it every second day for the next for the next ten weeks, 
Um, so you're still getting that exercise in. Um, so a lot of pe- people diet. I reckon you lose weight, but you feel weaker for it. So I reckon um, the extension that, that Anna McDougall and, and Manshake promote is lose weight and become healthier. Um, so do a little bit of exercise with that and you don't lose that strength. Because a lot of people that lose weight lose their strength and they feel crap, so they put the weight back on. But if you're exercising along with diet, you're losing weight, you're getting stronger, um, it just makes you feel 100%. Yeah, sounds great. All right, Merv, I've got to ask you, what age did you start growing that handlebar moustache? Um, well, I had a couple of pretty ordinary efforts. So I reckon 16, 17. Um, uh, well, at school, you mate, can't afford razor blades, so you, you just go with it. So I had the, the little porno star movie stuff uh, <laughs> for a while. And then sort of shaved, started shaving, shaved that off. Then I reckon about 82, 81, 82, um, I grew the, the mustachio and looked at it. And I was looking in the mirror and it became quite concerning because I, I reckon I looked like uh, Freddie Mercury. Um, <laughs> And I'm thinking that's that's not the look I'm going for here. I, I want to be taken seriously and, and I want to be feared. I don't want to be looking like Freddie Mercury. Um, so I shaved it off. And 1985, I went on a trip around Australia. So um, up the East Coast, across the Darwin, down the centre, um, and just didn't shave for about four months. So I come back with a, a full full grown beard. Probably looked a little bit like like Ned Kelly, uh, <laughs> or Grizzly Adams, whichever one you want to go for. Um, and went into the hairdressers to get a haircut and shave the, the beard off. And for some reason, shaved down the side, shaved underneath, and this this handlebar moustache appeared. And they, they went to shave it. I said, oh, no, just leave that. And they said, why well, is that? Well, looks a little bit like a horseshoe. Um, horseshoes are good luck. So so I leave that on for a little while. And I thought, I'll leave it on for, for a week or two um, as a bit of a, a stir, um, just to, to see sort of what reaction I got around the place. And... Sportsmen are really superstitious, which is sad to say, and things started to happen for me, and, and, and uh, life's been going pretty good since 1985, so I'm too scared to shave it off. It's, it's my lucky charm. What about that chain you used to wear? I just want to know. Was oh, really the chain I used to wear, I still, I still wear it. Yeah. It's still got the chain on. I think um, yeah, over the time I've had cricket bats on it, and that, but now um, I've got the, the half coin, the split coin, that you, you um, buy with your wife when you get married. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got a big heart and three little hearts, so wife and three kids. Three kids, yep. And I've got the, the crest of arms um, around my neck now. So I've got rid of the bat. I've got the, the crest of arms. So my brother's a jeweller, um, Sean McKelsey. If you're looking for a, a diamond ring or a gift for your wife, the boys out there, uh, get all the McAllister's jewellers in the city in Melbourne. He'll look after you, but he, he made up this, um, I think it was for my 40th birthday, I made up a, a crest of arms, and, and I've just worn that ever since. Nice. All right, Merv, before I let you go, everyone at home, get following Merv Twitter. He's at MervUse332. Check out his show at Merv. No, he's not. He's not? You changed? No, he's not. You changed? Uh, oh, no, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, sorry. Twitter. Yeah, no, all over that. Yeah, Twitter. Uh, Merv here is 332. Yeah. People say, why 332? Yeah. Well, I started the account up at 332 on the afternoon. Of, <laughs> nah, it's my, my, test, it's my test number. Um, a lot of people look for me on Facebook, um, but I, 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 I've got a pseudonym in, the, in the Facebook, so I'm just
Fair enough. And you can also see Merv's show at mervusefishing.com.au, and that's also on 1HD. Now, Merv, before I let you go, in terms of advice for people chasing their dreams, what, yes. what advice do you have for all of us trying to achieve something, you know, something great just as you have? Well, two bits of advice. Uh, the one I, I shared earlier, if you want to be as good as the next bloke, do as much. If you want to be better, do more. So that's just, if you're fair thinking about your sport, get to training early, leave late, work hard. And, and number two, um, I, I reckon um, be prepared to sacrifice. Because the difference between being good and very good is the sacrifices you're prepared to make. So when your mates are out on a Friday night um, and you're having a good time, you've got to leave early if you're, if you're playing sport the next day and look after yourself a couple of days into the event. Obviously, not just the night before, but the sacrifices you make, will, will um, you'll get payback on them over time. Yeah, wise word, Merv Hughes. Thanks for stopping by talking with TK. I've had a blast, my man. No worries, TK. Thanks very much for having me on. Guys, we hope you've enjoyed that episode with Merv Hughes. You know, that was something on my bucket list to talk to the great Merv. So if you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. It's the best thing you can do for me so I can continue to grow it and bring you the best of the best of Australian and New Zealand sports. Now, next on the show, a bit of a V8 flavor. We've got John Bauer and Greg Murphy back-to-back. So I think they're going to be two great episodes. And then after that, I'll also be doing an interview with the Wallabies legend, David Campisi. So like I said, if you're really enjoying the show, please get in touch with me. I'm at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Or if you've got access to iTunes, like I said, please subscribe, tell your friends, and please leave me a five-star review. Guys, we hope you've enjoyed that episode. Until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.